0: The Bucs got all the right steps in Charleston. They now can try their slipper and see if it fits at the big ball. East Tennessee State Buccaneers, they're dancing, boys. Hunter Perea lays it up. One point four. Perea hits it. The pass is caught. Ready for the game winner. Wide left. Bucs win. Ball game. spotting for three. The place is gonna erupt. Oh Deuce Bellow, he's gonna make Sports Center with an incredible. Jarvis Jones, Buster the game winner, right. got it. Ball game. He's on they got game, him. But he... If he catches it, it's over. Ball game. Touchdown, Jawan Stinson. 25 yards. J.J. German for the win. He got it. J.J. German and the Bucs have shocked the Bulldogs. And the sidekick. shout out to my little friend.
1: What's your name, man? I told you. It
2: somebody. doesn't matter what your name
1: is. You're handsome. You have the perfect amount of scruff. And you still have no talent.
0: It's Sandos in the sidekick on the Buccaneers Sports Network. Oh, it's game day eve. Happy Friday to you, Jay Sandos. Mike Gallagher getting you ready for the weekend. ETSU will be on the road at the Furman Paladins. And what is a game that will have a lot of implications going into the Southern Conference uh, championship race, title race. Certainly if ETSU were not to win 0-2 oh, and, and they would have to run the table from that point forward and maybe need some help. Uh, If Furman were to lose, it just makes it even more wide open as the season goes along, similar to what it was last year. So a lot to talk about in today's show. We'll also look at the Southern Conference slate. A new offensive uh, quality control guy hired. We'll talk to him third segment, right? Third Uh, segment, yeah. UT it a little bit Wednesday, so if people listen Wednesday, they'll know who that is. And then finally, I am prepared today for the first time in a long time to give you some bold it doesn't mean I'm going to be good. Uh, interesting it just to mean. see if
2: that works in your favor or against you.
0: Yeah, I usually fly by seat of my pants, it doesn't work. Uh and now I'm prepared. Let's see if it doesn't work. I don't know. We'll find out. So what
2: would you do then? What's your next course of action if being prepared doesn't work?
0: Uh probably not do it at all? No, no, no. I would probably put cat treats in uh two bowls and see which one the cat went to and boom, it's all going away. That with. works with for some band. people, though. Yeah. That does work for some yeah. people. Yeah. I've never tried that. We'll see how it goes. All right, let's talk about this game. I think uh, you know, I I listen To your chat that will air tomorrow with Coach Hendricks. I wasn't, uh, I was doing some other things when you were getting that interview done. I think it was talking to Billy Taylor at the time, but interesting to see that he said, well, you know, we did talk about it. He tried to. Go every way around it that they didn't harp on it that they just talked about last year's it. But game. That being, I yep. got a feeling. Thank you for filling that in blank. But yes, I have a feeling they talked about last year's come from behind win, whether they wanted to say so or not.
2: Well, I'm just interested. Whenever I actually talk to a coach that's inside the walls that kind of controls the storylines, you know, I mean that's kind of how it is when you're going towards the game. It's the coach is going to dictate what's brought to the forefront. He he's not media, but almost for his team, he acts that way in a little bit of just like I want to build this game up this way, so my players will react this way. It's very intricate how all that works. And so I don't think that Coach Hendricks was dishonest in any way. I think he was a hundred percent truthful with it because he tried to say, yeah, oh, you know, it's uh, maybe you know, I've talked about it here and there. Well, but he
0: said, I'll, I, I'm not going to lie. We have,
2: we have yeah. talked about then, it. Then he came out with it and just said, look, I mean, I, I'm not going to BS you here. Like, yes, we we have talked about it. But I always do think, and, and, you know, you can always gloss over things to the media if you're a coach as well. It's kind of that chain of media command where it's team, coach, and then the media that reports to the public. So you can gloss over it a little bit, but he wasn't going uh, to gloss over the fact that, yes, they have talked about the game last year that come from behind win for etsu 21 point uh 27 to six in the third quarter 21 point come from behind win 29 27 the final i don't think it's talked about as much as everyone outside of their program makes it up to be which is why i wanted to Talk with Coach Hendricks about it, but certainly it's something they have to be aware of, right? They have to be wary of, and that's why I framed the question the way I did. Have you used it as a motivator, or, and this is what I think is more likely, as a cautionary tale? Guys, we got to play every play. We got to play until all 60 minutes have wound off the clock. We can't get complacent once you're up by whatever the score is 21, 31, 81. Uh, certainly that won't be the case uh, this week. Hopefully it's never more than one, if they're ever ahead at all, Furman, but it's going to be a mighty task. No doubt. I talked with him about a lot of things. We'll hear that chat on the pregame show. 1130 is when that happens on the Buccaneer Sports Network. 1 o'clock is kickoff, of course, with Jay Sandos, Matt Wiljom, Robert Harper, Don Hellman. Cast of characters is wide-ranging uh, down from Greenville. So, yeah, that chat was interesting, and uh, a few tidbits that I'll spread throughout this spe- segment on it.
0: Well, you look at the, the game, and the interesting part to me is when you look at um, some numbers I think Randy Sanders brought up last game, and I think Red Zone is one of them, right? He harped on that a lot. You look at the Furman Paladins, and inside the the red zone, fifteen of sixteen with fourteen touchdowns, which is absurd. Defensively, uh, teams are twelve of fourteen, but only eight touchdowns. And so, you look at that number; they've each their opponents and themselves been in the red zone fourteen times. They have twelve compared to eight. Plus, they've scored. Uh, all but one time, and then they've held their opponents from scoring twice. So you look at some of those numbers, and it just shows you why Furman winning some of those games. Third down is the only one that kind of threw me off. The Furman Paladins are, are converting at 49%, which is solid, but they're also giving up 47%. And so that's maybe a little bit of a watch. That's something where ETSU, the numbers are flipped a little bit, only converting about 36% on the offensive end, but giving up 42%. So there's there some things in there. I think when you look at Furman, I think you have to start with how explosive their offense has been, and certainly it starts with the quarterback.
2: Yeah, Darren Granger, six four one ninety five. Everyone says he's tremendous athletically. Hasn't really gotten off in the run game yet, averaging right around 5.5 yards per carry, which isn't bad by any means. Uh, when you take out sacks, the last three weeks, uh, he's been good for about a 20-yard run per contest hasn't cleared 53 yards on the ground this year in a game though last week he did gain 89 but also lost 37 so again you take out sacks and he's about 5.5 yards per carry that isn't a great number it's not a bad number it's a very good number for a running back for a quarterback you expect it to be higher because you're looking at a lot of broken plays the choice to take off now they do design some runs for Darren Granger but the impressive thing to me and coach Hendricks said this as well he's only played quarterback for three years You know, It was the last year of high school. He had some
0: uh, injuries in a car accident. He had a car wreck. That was the thing. It almost took his whole junior year away. He was
2: a receiver, and then they move him to quarterback and how it's worked out for him. I mean, my goodness. And then he has the four games last year before they use that new redshirt rule to be able to keep that year of eligibility just a redshirt freshman. So it is quite impressive what he's able to do, and he's made everyone around him better. Thomas Gordon had 430 yards in the air all of last year as the top receiver for Furman. The only one over 200 yards was Cam Burnett. He's graduated. This year, Gordon already has 304 yards. Ryan Miller and Ryan DeLuca are over 100 as well. 105 team completions last year, 51 this year. Then there's Devin Wynn in the backfield, 722 rush yards last year. Already over halfway there this year at 379. Has only lost five yards on rushes this entire year, and that means he's not getting trapped behind the line. Uh, and really, he's been about 12 or 13 rushes per game. So in about 50 rushes, he's lost five yards so the offensive line doing a great job of course he's doing a great job and kind of feeding off of what Darren Granger is able to do and being so multiple in their offense with everything they can do makes things difficult for the defense and makes it hard to get into the backfield and know who to key on
0: well I I think it's funny we're talking to Dan Scott Wednesday and he said almost an embarrassment of riches when you look at and, and he's right you look at Devin Wynn they also got Corey Watkins back. He only had five carries Light for 97 bolt. yards, and he had an 83-yard touchdown run against Mercer. Big uh, Wayne Anderson is a, is a really a shocking get. He's out of Prosper, Texas. I don't think Furman has many kids from Texas on the roster, but he's a true freshman. Then they got another true freshman, and, and uh, Dominic Roberto. He had six carries for 47 yards, only averaged uh, seven yards per carry. And then they still have Devin Abrams who is another freshman so you look at all of that with win being the elder statesman as a junior thomas gordon is fourth all-time on the receiving charts uh, as far as yardage he's sixth in catches he's got three of his seven touchdown receptions of 77 77 and 83 yards Uh, his long touchdown reception this year was 47 so he's a home run hitter with a lot of speed Both tight ends they use very nicely, Ron Miller and Jake Walker. I mean, they don't talk about the tight ends a lot, but both those guys have a couple of touchdown catches each. And Ron DeLuca's the the typical possession receiver when they need him. So they've got a little bit of everything offensively. You say all that, you turn around and look at – the the fact they played two FBS teams and how good they are defensively because you look at some of those numbers and the fact they played uh, two FBS teams and still uh, are having more offensive yards gained than defensive yards given up. And I know it's because maybe they went a little bonkers against Mercer, but still, to have that in, in four games still in their favor, to me, is impressive.
2: And it's very typical for them to schedule heavy early. And this is the stat that I talked about on Wednesday, and I just want to bring it up again. They're 1-8 in their first three weeks of a season under head coach Clay Hendricks. That's three years now. In 2017, they had a one-point loss to Wofford and a three-point loss to Elon Last year, a two-point loss to the Bucs. Then this year, the six-point loss to Georgia State and the seven-point loss to Virginia Tech. But then in 2017, they won eight of their last ten, including seven in a row right after that three-game losing streak to start. 2018 won six of their final seven, as we know, to tie for the conference championship. They'll ultimately miss out on the NCAA playoffs. And then this year, their lone win in their first three was that 46-13 to win over Charleston Southern, 45-10 to in their first game outside of those three against Mercer in a really dominating performance.
0: Yeah, and very shocking dominating performance, too, I might add. Now, they forced a lot of turnovers, which which Mercer's had, you know, unlike a Bobby Lamb team. You look at that Austin P game a couple of weeks ago for Mercer. They turned it over a lot. A couple of them were returned for touchdowns. And then the four or five turnovers they had against Furman, a couple of them in the red zone. And, again, Robert Riddle has had an outstanding start to his uh, sophomore uh, campaign for Mercer. Uh, You know, the fact that he threw a couple interceptions and a couple balls that that just were up for grabs that probably shouldn't have thrown. So, I think it's a little shocking... That Furman was able to to turn that game very nasty.
2: So let me just sum it up here for those first three weeks. You got Elon twice, ETSU, which we know conference champion last year, Clemson, Wofford, North Carolina State, Georgia State, Virginia Tech. So scheduling early as heavy as they do really does make for a team that does get better throughout the year and really benefits. And I think that's why, aside from the obvious fact of money and getting you know nine hundred thousand, one point two, one point four, whatever it is, it really does benefit. Furman and Clay Hendricks as they schedule those teams that they probably don't have much of a chance against although this year has been a bit different you go on the road and you know collect a big paycheck and get a win that's always a bonus but facing that caliber of opponent and then coming into the conference season has seemingly worked for them time and again those wins over Charleston Southern and Mercer very similar to me you had about two to three times as many runs as passes for Furman's offense and they were able to do that though because they got up big so early over 350 rush yards in each game On their first two scoring drives of each game against Charleston Southern to go up 14-0, there was a 15-yard penalty on the defense on each. And that first drive, they had great field position right around midfield. There was another defensive penalty on the third scoring drive to make it 21-6, and then good field position on the fourth scoring drive to make it 24-6, entering the half, and also another defensive penalty. Then against Mercer, they had a 47-yard pass play on the first TD drive, a defensive penalty on the second drive. A 41-yard pass to Ryan Miller for a TD on the third drive. On their fourth drive, uh, a third and 13 holding call on Mercer. So eight scoring drives in first halves that have allowed them to create some difference between their opponents. Six have had a defensive penalty. The other two, a 40-plus-yard pass. So you have to not hurt yourself as you have to do every game but specifically against Furman it's no coincidence that they're getting help on their touchdown drive scoring drives in that first half it's allowing them to get up by 10 15 20 points and also the big play and that's tough against a multiple offense as we talked about you'll hear a bit about it from Austin Herrick and Kobe Kelly in a bit too they love what Furman does offensively but they don't love it so much this week the fact that they have to go against it so it's the big play and it's defensive penalties those are the two big keys on defense I think
0: yeah, I, I, and the big thing is is how is the health of the defensive ETSU, right? I think things are trending towards Jason madua being back in the lineup. At what percentage, I don't know. We know this year a player is going to play. He's been nursing a little bit of injury. Um, uh, you know, With Maduafakwa back, I think that's mo- going to move Austin Rowan back over, but we've seen Jalen Porter step up on the line, Kamen Cody, uh, Rodney uh, Wright, and then I think the Trey Middleton last week probably earned a chance to get some playing time there, so secondary obviously will be challenged the big thing is for the eyes for the safety right you know they've got to be able to read their keys a run key they've got to be able to come up if it's a pass key they can't let somebody run past them and that's really what Furman does right they run they pound the rock they'll give you some option looks sometimes some three back looks but then all of a sudden play action over the top and they crack back a lot this was interesting to hear Billy Taylor talk about the corners will crack the safeties and so once they start to crack, the corners got to come and make a tackle and occasionally they do a crack and go where it looks like they're going to crack and then boom, they just split the seam. And the corners look really embarrassed because there's a guy wide open, but they do a good job of scheming that. And so it's a lot of deception with that Furman offense and they try to keep you off balance. They've kept everybody off balance so far. And I'm not going to
2: lie, I like watching it when the Bucs aren't playing against it. It's much like Austin Herrick and Kobe Kelly's thoughts – You almost get confused and a bit uh, energized and scintillated watching that type of offense because you don't know what's coming next as a viewer, let alone a defense. And those guys are having to react in split seconds to make sure that there aren't guys wide open down the field. And it's just not always going to go your way when there is that much deception. But if you can do it for an entire game, I think you have a really good chance of pulling, I guess, what you would call an upset in this game on the road and one big time of the game that you have to watch out for is early in that second quarter that's been the time where Furman has been able to pull away from both Charleston Southern and Mercer. It was 14-7 to against the Bears, but the Paladins then got the next 14. It was 14-6 to early in the second quarter against Charleston Southern and Furman got the last 10 before the half. Essentially at that point, the game is over when you're up by 18 or 21 going into the half. Yeah, comebacks are possible and Randy Sanders is a master motivator, knows how to get the best out of his team, even if it's not the most talented as perhaps and what most have said around the program this year, last year's was not. And with the more talent this year, You'd think that the likelihood of being able to go into the locker room and make some adjustments and come out even stronger would be better, but certainly not a formidable position to go into at the half, down 18 or 21.
0: It's never that way. It's funny. ETSU, two of their best wins in school history have been to, against Furman, in which they have been down by either 18 or 21. And I think the the other omen, I gave it to Randy Sanders, and he, he chuckled a little bit, and of course it's a little bit in jest, but the the only other two wins in – E-Tissue's history in Greenville, South Carolina, was 1979 or 97. So you could argue it has to be a 7-9 and a nine in there. I would just say it has to be a 9. And 2019 could be the next year that it happens. That's, uh, that's what I'm going with.
2: So I think if you avoid the second quarter and falling behind going into the half and you don't have to come back on the road, keep the game close. I mean, 7-2 and in and games decided by a score. So for me, that makes things look pretty promising for the Bucs, knowing that they can win those tight games. VMI, of course, um, you know, new team first conference game, uh, different team, much, much different team than the one that Randy Sanders had last year. I'm going to write that off just a little bit um, as fluky. I may be too optimistic. I may have the blue and gold sunglasses on. I'm not quite sure, but I'm going to do that. uh, and. think i can it's your show so can i do that i mean since it is your show yeah okay good you're clearing that's why i'm gonna do it uh jacksonville state's the other one and that's an ncaa playoff game where literally one inch decides a game being tied going to overtime so if those are the only two then i'm feeling pretty confident about the bucks chances in a close game just avoid defensive penalties avoid that big play and make sure that going through that second quarter you're not getting lackadaisical Furman isn't breaking you down with those type of things that they have other teams and I think ETSU is going to be in the game. And if that offense can step up and they can do some of the things they did last week with maybe a couple more big plays, those plays that you were talking about last week with Coach Sanders on Wednesday and on Monday and post game, instead of those 15 to 20 yard plays being 15 or 20 yards, having them break, you know, having them go 50, 60 yards, having them be long touchdowns. Because if Furman is going to get a big, big play, you're going to have to match at some point during the game.
0: Uh, yeah, I, I, and I, I think. Given the opportunity to run away and hide, I think clearly Furman has proven they can do that uh, over the last couple of years. Uh, and if you look at it, taking the ETSU game out, they were able to run away and hide from teams last year, just not an ETSU game. So the special teams is the last thing I, I would just bring up. Grayson Adkins is, yeah, it's is really good. Maybe the best all-around team. Uh, Trifecta kicker in the country because he handles not only field goals, he handles punting and he handles kickoffs. you know as long as punt in career uh, eighty one? Is that said right? The last year, Eddie hit a sixty nine yarder this year. Yeah, eighty one and then <laughs> six, I, over half his punts this year, he's a, he's pinned opponents inside the twenty. So talking about flipping field position, plus he tied an all a division record with last year. He had a three, uh, he had a four field goal game, but three of them were 50 yards, wow. including his last one was a 53-yarder, his career high. And, that's and that game, against Sanford.
2: And that's a game-changer... If you're in a defensive, grinded-out game where you're not putting up touchdowns left and right, if you're talking uh, 17 to 14, 20 to 14, uh, maybe even a little the 29-27 that there was last year, because you're in scoring range, then you know almost when you get across midfield, right? Not literally, but you get inside the 40, then you're talking what 57, 58. If he can boom three in the same game from 50 plus, certainly get to the 35 and you're within field goal range. And if you can get some of those possessions that would maybe be a fourth and seven, you go for it from that area versus let's kick it and we've got a pretty good possibility with our kicker to get three points and you do that a couple times that's a full another touchdown where you would have had zero points to begin with so that is a huge game changer and it's something ETSU is used to having with JJ German and hey Tyler Keltner has shown that he's got a bit of a leg as well maybe doesn't have the consistency yet of Grayson Atkins but hopefully Keltner can develop into that with consistency because it's a real asset
0: yeah it's it, it, again those hidden points hidden yardage things that, 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 that you talk about and Atkins being able to drive the ball in the end zone for touchbacks. Anytime you get to around the the 35, 40-yard line, you know, you may have an opportunity to score points there. And then if you need to pin somebody back deep inside the 20 or 10, he can do that as well. Or he can flip the field with a daggone 81-yard punt, right? So... Needless to say, Grayson Atkins, one of the best, not just in the Southern Conference, but all of FCS. So that'll do it for our breakdown ETSU and Furman pregame show, 1130 a.m. tomorrow on AM640 WXSM, also a 104.9 Nash Icon. You can download those apps as well. If you want to do that, you can listen online. Many different ways to engulf the broadcast on Saturday. We'll step aside for a timeout. When we come back, we'll take a look around the Southern Conference after this word from Sanderson's Sidekick on the Buccaneers Sports Network. Over the last 70 years, Johnson City Power Board has had a few different looks, but we've remained the same trusted partner you rely on. Now, we've changed our name to Bright Ridge to match our vision, to deliver on our promise of great service you can count on, embracing common-sense technology to strengthen the communities we serve. We're glad to be your public power provider. Bright Ridge, new name, renewed promise. Learn more at brightridge.com. us in the shot kick back with you and it starts the first of many full weekends with a full Southern Conference football slate.
2: Yeah, let's break it up into four sections looking at the Southern Conference. We haven't really done an in-depth breakdown. I've kind of touched on it here and there and we've done so during the top 25 as well, but haven't really dedicated a full segment to it. Now that conference play is here in the big way that it is, I think it's about time. Furman, Safford, VMI, all 1-0 in the league. And Furman, I think for me right now, the league favorite. You talked about Corey Watkins a bit in segment one. He's returning from turf toe, another home run hitter for them, and controlling field position, as we mentioned at the end of that first segment. These are just kind of little tidbit items that we maybe glossed over some. Uh, Furman doing a lot of things well. You got Granger, you got the weapon outside in Gordon, Win in the backfield, the defense, 11 sacks. We didn't even talk about the pass rush because you can go on and on and on about what Furman does. 11 sacks, Adrian Hope, the sack leader in the FCS last year, uh, Drew Seabrook leading him this year with three sacks. So in every phase with Atkins on special teams, Granger, Gordon, and Wynn on offense, and then on defense with Seabrook and Hope up front. Plus, they had three interceptions against Robert Riddle last week. You've got a very tough foe anytime you're going up against them. I think right now the league
0: favorite. I, I think it's easily everyone is on board, especially with the troubles that Wofford and ETSU have had this season, which are really the other two teams most people were maybe grappling over who was going to be the best in the Southern Conference. And Wofford, of course, the struggles early, lost some games out. He got back on track with a, a, a huge run game last week against Gardner Webb. Clearly, tissue dropping a game to VMI uh, probably shocked a lot of people in the league. So I, I think it's easily to say Furman, uh, leader in the clubhouse as far as where it won, th- at least through four games where people think he's going to win the league.
2: They want to know. Sanford is one to know. I wonder if they're for real. I think they're better than a lot of people are giving them credit for. I still don't know if they're going to be a contender for the title like they were last year. They were beaten soundly by Youngstown State in the opener. A double overtime loss to Tennessee Tech, 59-58. to They did beat Wofford and Alabama and M to bounce back. That Tennessee Tech loss, by the way, they blew a twenty-three point lead in the second half. So that's not a great way to lose a game. But then you beat Wofford, and I know everyone's down on Wofford too. But that's another team that I'm not ready to write off yet. And we'll talk about them in a second.
0: Well, the biggest, I think, the big thing was it was towards the end of that first game that Chris Oladokun, the transfer from South Florida, the quarterback for the Sanford Bulldogs. Finally, got in the game and started to get a little bit of rhythm. Then he threw a ridiculous, like, seven touchdown affair at Tennessee Tech. And you just look at that game and you go, I don't know what else your quarterback can do. Throws for four fifty, seven scores. I mean, that's about all. I mean, you score 50 some points and, and you got to win the game, right? So, the offensively, again, it seems like Sanford ex- is exactly where they were. They won a hard fought 21 14 victory against Wofford. And Really, it was the, the the Sanford defense that made just enough plays Which to kind of keep Wofford at bay. After I know. After giving up 59. But, they you know, and again, that was Wofford still trying to get back to who they are, and they certainly did last weekend.
2: They did. VMI is the other team that is 1-0. Their only quality result was against the Bucs. They went over Mars Hill as well and lost it to Marshall and Robert Morris, and Robert Morris is the team we mentioned on Wednesday during the top 25, lost to Kentucky State earlier this year, 13-6. to Reese Udinski still has not thrown an interception, and Alex Ramsey keeps running the ball effectively, 86 yards per game. But does the underneath passing game and short offensive attack work? Can you consistently win that way? They once again outplayed, and I use that more literally than saying they were better than outplayed their opponent last week, Robert Morris, 89-57, to but lost by 10.
0: So the the issue again is and I'm not picking on Garrett uh, Grant Clemens, but he is now four of ten on the season on field goals, and missed a uh, two or three in that game as well. They're they just they're getting a chance to score points, have some momentum, and they're just not capitalizing on it. Now, of course, we need him to miss the one that sent it over our time <laughs> yeah, against CTSU, yeah. but uh, he had missed one earlier. But uh, I, I think that's that's a huge issue for them. And the VMI-Wofford game is going to be interesting because Sanford does the same sort of – it's different, but it's a short passing game. It's, you know, try to move the chains, glorified run game. VMI is a better run game with Alex Ramsey, and I think Sanford does. The other thing, and I meant to mention this at Wofford, I was on their game notes uh, just already starting to look ahead to next week, and they've got three huge defensive players, and this is making a lot of sense now out for the year. So, Amari Johnson is one of the best uh, defensive backs in the league, but they're missing two of their big guns on the defensive line, and that's Thad Magnum, and then a guy I would uh, wish I would have known um, ahead of time, but uh, Michael Horton, who is a guy that has been unbelievably one of the two stoppers and stuffers of ETSU over the last couple of years. So, now maybe that's starting to make a little sense that that defensive line that sort of dominated the league for several years is missing two three-year starters, For them, Horton started as a freshman uh, all the way through, and then uh, uh, Magnum the last couple years has stepped into a starter, and Johnson uh, certainly is a guy that can can cover and pick off passes if it comes his way, Uh, very good at being a ball hawk. So I think VMI at home, if they can get Ramsey running with a little bit of Udinski, now here's the key, can they capitalize on scoring opportunities? They've got an opportunity to score some points because I think they'll have to score points especially after Wofford put up a 489-yard rushing versus Gardner-Webb. 489. How many? 489. How many drives do you think they're going to be in that Wofford-VMI game? Like nine? Both want those
2: 15-play drives exactly, yeah. for 80 yards. And like they want to run the, the most plays.
0: So if VMI can, as you say, outplay as far as have more plays, if they can get 20 to 30 more plays than Wofford, then I think VMI, who's almost a 10-point underdog at home, according to the wise guys, would have an opportunity – to, to beat um, to beat Wofford, and the one thing that VMI does normally do well is play assignment football, which you have to do against the Terriers. So can the Terriers run and control the clock? If so, I think they win fairly easily. If they can, a VMI is allowed to control the game and get Alex Ramsey close to 100 yards like he did. we a, 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 we well, went over 100 yards last game, but if he can get up to about 100 yards, I think VMI has got a real shot in that one.
2: Mercer is 1-1 one one with a win over Western Carolina and a loss to Furman. They're out of conference against Campbell this week. Offense is kind of above average right now statistically. Defense is below average. They're averaging 31 yards per kick return and are 22 of 22 on kicks this year. So special teams, kind of their consistent strength so far. But they did look really, really suspect against Furman last week, gave up 600 total yards, the three picks from Riddle, they only got 283 yards themselves, and you mentioned Riddle's good start, he's piling up the touchdowns, but has thrown yeah. now seven interceptions. 12,
0: well. and you mentioned that, 12 touchdowns, seven interceptions, he's third in the league as far as passing at 242 yards, but again, he's the only one that's in somewhat of a balanced offense, as opposed to the other two guys, Chris Olodok and Arise you mentioned, because all they want to do is throw it, you know, 60 times a game, and so it's just different, but out of the the, the quarterbacks that are a little more balanced, uh, Robert Riddle is third in the league in that. The seven interceptions is shocking because I don't – and now he got hurt probably game five or six last year, uh, and and then they had to go um, go to the backup quarterback, who was Keelan Riley, who was actually the freshman of the, year, the year before. Think about that. Keelan Riley was the freshman of the year and then lost his job to a freshman yeah. and Robert Riddle. So, uh, I think if Robert Riddle and Mercer can hang on to the football, they will beat Campbell fairly handily – but they have not proven yet that they can hang on to the football. Ten turnovers all with the three fumbles added in.
2: And they've given up 48 and 45 each of the last two weeks.
0: Citadel and Chattanooga
2: haven't played a league game yet. Citadel, you feel like, for me at least, that they resemble Furman a bit right now in terms of what they've done this year. Two and two. Where Citadel has the Power Five win. Furman was close twice, couple of close losses to really good teams, and Towson and Elon. Brandon Rainey, the starting QB, missed the Charleston Southern game, so maybe you can see why that game was as tight as it was, twenty-two to thirteen. He is expected to play this week against Sanford in a game that I think could be really good.
0: I think it's going to be very entertaining, and I think it's going to see if Citadel has sort of righted the ship from two last-minute losses to start the year against Towson and Elon. I, and for Chattanooga, boy, they ran a gauntlet. That they have the toughest schedule, uh, according to many pundits in the country. They Three ran, losses: Jacksonville State, Tennessee, and James Madison, back to back to back. I mean, so can they recover? Uh, I, it'll be interesting to see. But I think Chattanooga. I think they can get get on the the right tip and and get a victory. And then for Citadel. That's sort of the question. Can they slow down? Their bread and butter generally defense, right? And then they're going to keep the clock away. Rainey didn't play last week, and they were still able to pick up a, a win against cross-town rival Charleston Southern, who always plays them tough. Sometimes it's easy to look at Charleston Southern and look at them uh, and try to compare scores against somebody else. But Charleston Southern is the – what's a nice way? the The stepchild of – Charleston. They they they're Ugly are, stepchild. Uh, <laughs> there are stepchild. They ninety percent Charleston. Will I? Let's take this. Eighty-five percent of Charleston go belong or claim the Citadel. Ten percent will say College of Charleston. Five mm. percent have to say somebody say go Charleston Southern. Wow. I mean that's sort of how that breakdown is. So when Charleston Southern beats Citadel, they throw a parade on that side of town when they win. So I think you throw that out a little bit. But I think Citadel if they're going to be for real. They're going to have to try to prove it on the road, um, and it's been a fairly good matchup uh, against the Citadel. If I'm not mistaken, over time looking at the the series, they lead the all-time series set seven to five. So it's been uh, slanted Citadel's way. So I think you know they'll keep it tight. Citadel's been tough games. I think Citadel will probably pull off the upset on the road, mm-hmm. and I don't know if it's it's the closest line that the wise guys put out there. Sanford at, at a field goal two and a half something, like which you would normally do. If you look at a home team, and then I think Chattanooga writes the ship has some big day throwing the football because Tyree Adams is listed as the. I don't know if you're getting to that. Am I jumping you here? Yeah, you're jumping me on Chattanooga, Western Carolina. (laughs) I'm jumping on everybody. Well, I do want to
2: talk about a quarterback for Chattanooga, Nick Tiano. But I think this week is going to be about, like you said, can they bounce back? Chattanooga. You kind of have a high character team if you're going to be able to after three games like they've had Jacksonville State, Tennessee, and James Madison. Is this team high character? Well. The game against Jay State was a one-score game going to the fourth, and it was a one-score game against James Madison going to the half. Both ended up as blowouts, and Tiano has been just brutal so far this year. Two touchdowns, five interceptions, 48.5 completion percentage. Uh, that's just not good, and I wonder if you think that Tiano. speaking of quarterbacks, we're about to talk about Tyree Adams, but Tiano is that a subject of just who he's played? It, it, do you think that he can get back on track? Is he just... Confident shot. Now, where do you think that falls for him?
0: Well, he has got the—I would say—the best receiver in a league, the most dynamic, and Bryce and League. Yeah. and he looks for him all the time. So I think they get back on track. I think they ran a gauntlet. You know, they—they they had to force the issue kind of late at Jacksonville State, which led to a, a turnover and a turnover on downs because they were—they—they they weren't playing not to get blown out. They were playing to win, and sometimes when you when you do that late, people can tack a few extra scores on. And so I I think Chattanooga will right the ship. I think Tiano's fine. Wofford looked
2: much more like themselves against Gardner Webb. 39-point win that followed back-to-back losses to South Carolina State and Sanford. They are 0-1. So are the Bucs and Western. Wofford is putting up pretty typical rushing numbers, over 300 yards per game. The QB, Joe Newman, is in fact rushing for more yards than he's thrown for this year by nearly two times. Since throwing it 23 times in Game 1, they've thrown it just 15 times since. The game against Sanford. Really could have gone either way. That, that's You look at how that game unfolded. It was 21-14. to 14, A 17-play drive for Wofford in the fourth was really where the game was going to be won or lost. But they started so deep in their own territory, I think it was a 62-yard drive. They ended up having to punt, and then they did not get the ball back. All five starters back on the O-line. And that's what's surprising to me about their struggle so far in putting up 13 points that first game against South Carolina State and then 14 points against Sanford is that you've got everybody back up front. Newman clearly is that dual threat quarterback that you want. So there's a few things that make it look like offensively they're going to be a solid team again and have been in some games but then as you mentioned the defensive injuries have been tough.
0: Defensive injuries been tough, but they finally went back to the run game. They finally, instead of just trying to outthink themselves and and throw the ball around, they they went back to the ground and pound. That's what that's who they are. That's their DNA for 30 years and I think if they go they continue to do that even with some injuries on that defensive front, it'll keep them in games and be able to put some points on the board. Also, Luke Carter, their field goal kicker, uh, went seven for seven. That makes him one hundred of one hundred for his career. That's the third longest consecutive streak in Southern Conference history. And extra points, an extra points. Okay. Uh, yes, not field goals. I was like, My gosh, gosh. the big at all time record. Right lots um, of field goal, uh, but uh, an extra points. So he's twenty four behind the second place, uh, Tom uh, Openlander of Marshall, if you remember Tom Openlander. In the I, I do not. Like I do. No, okay. I did not. Remember Tom Openlander <laughs> kicked in the dome quite a bit. One of the better names in, in league history. And finally, who we got, Western? Tyree Adams. Go ahead, give me a rundown. He is listed as the backup. So he was benched for violation of team rules. The roles. saga
2: continues.
0: So he didn't play against NC State, which you're like, okay. They played up. They didn't play against North Greenville, which they barely won. Will Jones was a starter in that.
2: And they and celebrated, it, by the way, like they had just it, won well, the FCS which, title, which to me was kind of you know, Bless
0: them. So I don't know the Tyree – the Tyree Adams saga is one of the best going on in the Southern Conference right now. Is Tyree going to get back in good graces and get back on the field? It appears since he's on the depth chart, he will be in uniform. He was not in uniform for both those. But to me, violation of team rules and you miss the game up and game down, if you will, the, the FBS and the Division Two game. I, you know, if if they sit him for this one, you're going, okay, he did something bad enough that that they are, they are proving a point at some kind because, I mean, a senior quarterback, you had chances of, of thinking may, making this was your chance to make a run with him at the helm, and now you're off to a slow start. So, it, the, to me, that's all i got on Western. We'll just have to see how long Will Jones plays and will Tyree get in.
2: With or without him, they're not getting it done defensively. They've only had five sacks and one interception all year, so they're not forcing turnovers. In fact, just the one turnover was that interception that they forced, and they're not getting to the quarterback. So, Tyree Adams can't rush the passer. And he can't play defensive back. I guess he could, but they're probably not going to do that. Maybe that would send a message to Tyree if you say, okay, you're the backup quarterback, but you're also going to play defensive end and safety and every other that, position that, defensive that certainly,
0: it certainly would. That would send a message. I, I don't know if they'll do that, but it, it
2: would. It seems like they're the worst team in the league right now, right? Would you project them final... In In the yes, I would too.
0: As of, as of right now, yes, I, I would. And, and that was my longtime bold prediction they would win a share of the league. So, really, really happy about that. Looking good. Yep, that's a tease for a segment after the next, uh, which is bold prediction. Coming up next, a little quality control conversation. Quality control. With Mike Gallagher and a couple of guests, correct? That's right. All right, we'll do that right after this timeout. Sanders, sidekick on the bucket airs. Smart time
1: Life is all about perfect pairings sweet and salty, naughty and nice, hot and cold. Well, add instant and jackpot to the list because that's what you'll get when you add Quick Cash to your next Tennessee Cash play. Quick Cash is a simple way to turn one game into two. With Quick Cash, you'll have a chance to win up to $500 instantly right there at the register. Plus, you'll still have a chance to win the Tennessee Cash drawing later. Get the best of both worlds and get twice the fun. It's Quick Cash with Tennessee Cash. Only from the Tennessee Lottery. Game-changing fun. Please play responsibly. Cake.
3: Beer. Cake? Beer.
0: Quality. Quality. Quality.
3: Quality. 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 quality.
0: Soon to be.
3: Continental MVP. Cake. Cake. A slice of cake. Cake.
2: Beer. Beer. Um, Yeah. Double the quality control this week, and this is unbeknownst to me, really, until Austin hearing came down about a half hour or so before we decided to do the podcast tonight's Wednesday night, taping this for a Friday, ETSU taking on Furman, 1 o'clock kickoff down in Greenville, 1130 is the pregame show on the Buccaneers Sports Network with Voice of the Bucks, Jay Santos, myself, Mike Gallagher, Robert Harper, Don Hellman, and Matt Wilgham, of course, Austin Herrick, quality control coach for the offensive side of the ball here at ETSU, and a man that we actually had on the podcast maybe three or four weeks ago, who said he was pretty much done with football, wasn't sure what he was going to do next, and now he is sitting right here after day one of being an offensive quality control coach himself. Kobe Kelly, what is happening?
1: Uh, a lot has changed in my life over the last couple of weeks. I Fill just, us in, man. Yeah, it, it took a lot of time for me to finally realize what my calling is in life, but, but I feel like, uh, I feel like I finally realized it, and I'm just happy to be here
2: tell me about the last few weeks like has it just been some reflection of just this is what's going to make me happy I think I got to follow this path instead of um, pharmacy certainly is for some people and it sounds like something you're already really good at Uh, you always got that direction to maybe go to but right now you're thinking football is uh (coughs) is what's going to fulfill you the most
1: yeah I I definitely know football is it now um just a lot of self-reflection and prayer and and talking to my family and stuff like that just ultimately brought me to this decision uh it kind of hit me pretty hard the day I did the coin toss actually but Mm. I tried not to make too much of an impulse decision based upon the feelings that day because I knew my emotions were going to be pretty high but but I'm excited and I'm happy to be here and and I know this is what I want to do with my life.
2: So cool man. Day one. What was day one like? I'm sure Austin Herrick can lend you day one offensive quality control advice. I'm not sure it's the most glamorous day ones that you've ever had but tell me about it.
1: Uh, Yeah one word is hectic. Uh, (laughs) We do we did a lot with the scout team so Austin kind of got to show me the ropes of, of what he's been doing over the last couple weeks and and uh it was it was definitely a hectic measure, but but we had a good time with it.
2: How about a colleague for you, austin Herrick? This is fun, I'm sure, yeah, no doubt you know we get
3: we get two people on this side of it, so uh you can't completely come at me about the fantasy <laughs> stuff. I now have a sidekick, <laughs> uh kind of like we did on the field, you know, it feels like the golden days, you know um but no, it's cool to get Kobe back today, and like you said, we worked with a scout team and um you know with quality control that. The more help, the better. So, uh, good to see Kobe back, and uh,
2: I'm I'm excited for him. Someone say more control over the quality you're trying to instill. Correct? Exactly,
3: more quality, more co- as well as more control. Sure, and, uh, <laughs> just double, why not? Double greatness,
2: <laughs> double the fantastic right. of the offensive quality control for Kobe Kelly, excuse me, and Austin Herrick. Okay, I have to. Uh, right now, make fun of you for um, a number of things, but rather than make fun of you in the traditional way, I'm going to go ahead and make fun of uh, you via me this week. Uh, so, usually, we'll talk some fantasy football, maybe talk a little bit this week as well. DK Metcalf had a little bit of a down week, so I'm not at, coming in as hot, right. I think, as I usually would on that subject. Uh, you heard Continental MVP in the bumper. We've talked about that a lot in the uh, podcast so far when you've been on three or four times this year, coming back from the Vienna Vikings. We're up for European MVP, a continent that you could rule as its most valuable player. 100%. Uh, We checked in, and this is an idea I had, I think it was on maybe Tuesday. Um, We had been talking on the podcast, but we're not sure exactly when the voting is up, how you actually vote. We've kind of said just go to the Vienna Vikings Twitter page, which does work. That's what I did to find the link. Uh, But I wanted to be more proactive this week. And so when I did so, sent out a tweet that said, hey, not sure how much time we have, but I know that you had basically said, look, it's probably till about the end of the month is what we have right. to make a difference and make Austin Herrick a statuesque, continental MVP, <laughs> not only overseas, but certainly we talked about last week the Hall of Fame statue that's going up on the third floor here at the mini-dome that will be erected in oh your name. Goodness. And now that Kobe Kelly's here, I, I mean, we could have a, stat- a dual statue. Here. This, this is incredible that he's back as well.
1: <laughs> only he deserves a statue.
3: See? No, no. See, what we're going to get is a Sandoz and the sidekick oh statue. We got, we got Jay, you know, he's done so much for the university, and then you right there beside him as the sidekick. That I think will... that's the statue that people want.
2: I think that's going right in the incinerator, as I think we're that <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, oh, Austin Herrick well. and Kobe yeah. Kelly, uh, the dual statue going up on the third floor, the statue overseas of you, Austin Herrick, um, you're in fourth place, right. I found, when I voted. I hadn't voted before, so I'm happy I finally did that, tried to make a difference it's in, in your favor. It is about time. Now, you confided in me, Austin, that you have not actually voted yet either, so I don't feel too bad.
3: Right. You know, I, I just don't know that that's right to vote for yourself, kind of going back to like the second-grade class president mm. deal. You, know, you don't want to be the person voting for yourself. You don't want to – Turn in that ballot. Maybe someone see it. So uh, you don't want to be impeached as Continental MVP. Yeah, you know we don't need an impeachment trial with this. So I um, got enough of those going out. I think. I think
1: we should launch an inquiry. <laughs> yeah. We
3: could we could
2: launch an inquiry. Have a panel, <laughs> uh, a committee look into the uh, the voting process. So anyway, uh, get some steam behind it on Twitter. And you're not one to go on Twitter very often. Uh, at least right now you don't really have uh, time. It wouldn't seem uh, the 6 a.m. to 11 p.m. Also, I do want to know from Kobe. Is that accurate? Is it about six a.m. to eleven p.m. or is Austin Herrick inflating the stats?
1: Uh, I was up at four thirty this morning working out with Austin. Wow! So it, it's true.
2: This is exactly like when you're playing, isn't it? Uh, yeah,
3: I mean we're yeah. just we're it's, just it's getting a, back to the grind.
1: Uh, it's a little longer days, most likely. Yeah, we're going to be up at four thirty. So
2: okay, just wanted to be sure. You know <laughs> those stats from the ETSU days for Austin could have used some inflated, at least a hundred percent. Yeah,
3: one hundred percent.
2: So. You're in fourth place behind, I want to give you some names here. Kyle Kitchens had 19.1% of the European MVP vote from the Potsdam Royals. I don't know if you played them. Defensive lineman, so probably pretty dominating, right? Is a defensive lineman to be in the MVP voting. A Division II All-American at Catawba, yes, which is nearby here, of course, over in North Carolina. So, uh, obviously, his stats must have been pretty tremendous. 17.3% for Gerard Johnson, a running back from the Quopio Steelers. Not familiar with Gerard, former Norfolk State running back. Of course, okay. Norfolk State in the uh, in the Miac. Right, uh, Quentin Grammage, fourteen point five percent, a wide receiver for the Montpelier Hurricanes.
3: Okay, not familiar with them either. Couldn't
2: find absolutely anything on him aside from his stats this year: sixty-nine catches, uh, one thousand one hundred fifty-eight yards, fourteen touchdowns in France.
3: And f- oh, okay. Yeah, okay. See that Is that the bottom of the keep bottom go- in yeah, Europe? Keep, keep going.
2: Okay. <laughs> well, then there's Austin Herrick, uh, QB, uh, Dacia Vikings, uh, 15.8 rushing yards per game at ETSU in his senior year, eight interceptions to six touchdowns. Those are the stats I could find on you
3: from last year. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that, at ETSU, That yeah, was rough. A lot of heart. Find. A lot of heart in those stats, <laughs> um, but not much. Uh, you know, we won a lot of games, but not many stats put up by uh, the. Well, me, I guess. <laughs>
2: as, I, as I said last week, uh, you, uh, you have a championship. You quickly deflected and said, we have a championship. But right. you have a Southern Conference championship to your name. I,
3: we have a championship. I have more interceptions than touchdowns. How <laughs> <Not> about that?
2: <laughs> quickly, the voting changed. Let's just say Austin Herrick is now number one in European MVP voting. How about that? Buck Nation, you made a difference. I think you're at 21% at last check. Okay. Where Kitchens, Johnson, and Grammage have uh, seen their votes kind of trail off to the side, shall we say.
3: Yeah, you know, we we like comebacks here at ETSU. So, uh, yeah, I guess that's uh, that's pretty fitting. Hopefully we can finish strong here and, uh, you know, maybe – Maybe get Continental MVP so we don't have to change the bumper, you know. I'll take out the soon-to-be. Yeah, It'll exactly. Be continental MVP. Or if we don't get it, yeah, you know, I, I don't know what's going to go there. We'll have to, I'll have to get another
2: quote. Probably know? more cake and beer conversation. Yeah, a lot more cake and beer. Yeah. You know? So apparently we have till September 30th, uh, so say the Dacia Vikings. I think that's uh, Kiki that runs that Twitter right. account, Director Communications for your former club. Um, you can check our Twitter account to make sure you vote because every vote does make a difference. The get-out-the-vote-for-Austin Herrick is 100% on up until September 30th. Apparently there are other steps where committees and experts come in and perhaps skew some of that voting, which I don't like the sound of personally. Uh, but I, I think if it's an overwhelming enough vote, if we can get it to a certain number, say a 40 or 50%, how can they ignore the people?
3: Yeah, you got to give the people what they want. And I just want to say, uh, my name is Austin Herrick, and I do approve this message. <laughs>
2: Excellent. Excellent. Uh, So that's what's going on there. Uh, And that was, by the way, the hook for this entire thing that I was going off on Twitter. Uh, Furman, last year, a comeback. Right. We believe in comebacks here at DTSU. We've got Austin Herrick up for a comeback. He led the comeback last year midway through the third quarter. uh, And boom, there it is. The the narrative writes itself. One more comeback for the quarterback.
3: Right. Um, Yeah, and then you got Kobe navigating through what he's going – the route tree. He's – Maybe we should have a Kobe Kelly route
2: tree, offensive quality control route tree, bring that back. Everything's coming back. So many narratives. Uh, Okay, so let's talk about Furman from last year because it's a perfect week to do so, and any chance to get to reminisce on a moment as significant as that was in your career and both of your careers, really, because that's the game that really vaulted you into – i think title contention or at least the thought that you know with that type of comeback the team showing what it could do never being out of a game as proved to be speaking of narratives a big narrative of last season i just love to hear a year removed what you guys think about when you think back on that day
3: uh for me i i don't think i realized at the time um how much that would come up kind of on a day-to-day basis me being around here um that whole situation kind of how it unfolded um, was really uh, probably one of the more impactful things that has happened to me as a person from you know not starting my senior year after starting the first three years and then um, you know trying to do the right things behind the scenes while I was on the bench and trying to be a good teammate to you know I get this opportunity to go in and then you know hearing my name chanted by the fans and all that and their applause that was special and then you know it just played out kind of like a movie um and I remember immediately after the game just being incredibly emotional and you know just um I think I actually like dropped down to my knees at one point because I just I'm normally not that emotional but um it was a pretty cool experience because I knew um you know the people who had kind of helped me through that um and you know the nice things they were saying to me and um, it was just a really cool time and I remember waking up the next day being like all right well I may have a chance to be the starter now and so the work continues I don't get to look back on this and celebrate it that's for after the season and um, it was cool to carry that momentum through the rest of the year and I think as you said I think that propelled us into what we ended up being and um, certainly started, uh, started to get us to believe in exactly what Coach was preaching and what he was teaching us. And I think, you know, we took that experience and just ran
2: with it. Life-altering a bit. No in, doubt. In your own I mean, words.
3: Yeah, I, I tell that to, to people all the time. Mm-hmm. I probably had um, maybe too good of an upbringing. I had two parents that really cared about me and did a lot for me, and I never really got a chance to fail. Um, and that was the first time where, you know, I really worked hard for something. Um, and didn't get it and so when that happened it kind of shook me up a little bit and took me a few days to process what had just happened and um, you know thankfully I had good friends around me I was in a familiar place where people cared about me and um, I was able to kind of navigate through that without uh, you know going in the tank and you know going the other way and not working hard and not doing the things I need to do.
2: I just want you to remember that Sandos and the Sidekick always had your back. You always had a podcast no, to come on. No up.
3: doubt, you know that that was the thing. I I got benched, but hey, I got a got a good spot here in Radio Row with uh, Santos and the Sidekick. That's what propelled that.
2: Kobe, you're a man of faith. As are you, Austin. It, It almost seemed like some divine intervention that day, not to lessen the impact uh, of of that type of thing, but you had three catches uh, that were 18 yards apiece and then a five-yarder as well. One, the really big fourth and seven from Austin to you uh, for 18 yards that would eventually be the play that kept the drive alive that would tie the game, and then, of course, the defense getting the safety to win 29-27. What are your memories of that day not being Austin, we've heard a lot of Austin telling his story from his eyes, but being on the outside of that happening obviously offensive unit, you know you're as close as you know you can be to the situation but not being the quarterback himself watching that all unfold and being such a big part of it what do you remember
1: yeah so uh, I should probably apologize to Austin I got tackled inside the 10-yard line far too many times in my career so <laughs> so if yes. he doesn't make the hall of fame here it's probably my fault you know for <laughs> touchdowns but anyway uh no it was it was one of the it was probably the coolest game I've ever played um just from a just a pure football aspect uh I mean, you're, like you said, it was divine intervention, in, in my opinion. I mean, you don't just come back like that. You know, somebody somewhere has to come in the game and, and take it over, and, and that's what Austin did. And specifically that fourth and seven, I just I remember the play perfectly. We ran Seattle. I think we were in trips, right? And yeah. uh, I split the safeties. He just threw it in there. I mean, I probably could have stayed on my feet and got in the end zone, but I was like, <laughs> no, just get the first down, man. <laughs> we yeah. just just got to keep it going. So I mean, it, it was the coolest thing to be a part of. Uh, with him and, and, and with the rest of the team, and, and like he said, it, it propelled us into, into greater things.
2: You don't got to rip anybody or cut anybody down, but had you ever seen a team at such a point, a divisive point, in terms of uh, being kind of down and out? You know, it seemed like at the time it, it was a demoralized group, nothing could go right, and the season was maybe on the verge it was early yet but the season was maybe on the verge of slipping a completely different direction and then to see it band together like that in the span of 25 30 game minutes to make a 21 point comeback obviously the biggest comeback in school history but have you seen from the inside you've been around a lot of football teams a team come together like that from a point that was so far removed from it
1: yeah I mean there's no hate on anyone I just think that the whole central point of it is we had 33 guys graduate, 32 guys graduate, who had been here together for four or five years. And even guys that were younger than us that didn't graduate are still here. I mean, you, you total like 60, 70 guys that were here for so long with one guy leading us the whole time. And I think it was, it was that much easier to come around him as soon as he stepped on the field. So I just think from a different perspective. But I think, you know, it just makes it easier to, to come around so, a leader that, that has been there for a long time that, that takes over a game.
2: Did you feel that when you came on the field at all? Like, Did did you know in your mind, like, you know, you're a humble guy. You're always going to be a humble guy. But when you walked in that field, your name was being chanted. Your you know name was called by Coach Sanders. It was that time. Did you feel that energy from everybody when you came to the huddle? Like, wow, this is what things are supposed to be. This is the man that's supposed to be in the huddle with us.
3: Yeah, I think I felt that kind of the whole time behind the scenes. It just felt weird. I, you know, I was telling um, someone the other day – matt pike our center we had 33 starts together and i calculated it up i think we had over 30,000 snaps through practice and all that together i mean just so a lot of continuity there and uh i told someone i felt like he was cheating on me a little bit which obviously (laughs) you know that wasn't the situation but i mean you get pretty close your hands under i mean literally uh, very close Yeah, a couple inches between yeah Yeah, so so no doubt but uh yeah it, it, it was definitely odd um But I I did feel that. I remember one specific point in that game. Everyone was getting real fired up and screaming. And I'm like, guys, listen, you need to calm down. Like, we're in the huddle. I'm the only one talking. We got a game to win. We can, you know, get all excited afterwards. But right now we got to focus on the task at hand. And I think that point was big for all of us um, in that huddle because I think that was when I kind of reclaimed my spot and, uh, you know, got us going again. It was – Like I said, it was like a movie. I I couldn't – I don't know if it happened again, it would play out the same way. So um, definitely a cool memory to look back on, and just so many weird things led up to that day and um, something I'll always remember.
2: You can learn a lot in a day. I'm sure you've learned that today and just at various points in your life, Kobe. Probably tough to get a gauge of how this team is Right now, so this is for both of you and Austin. You know, you, you've been around it for uh, the lion's share of this season after coming back from Austria, and you, you jumped right in. But so it's been a couple months for you. Do you feel like with how the team looked last week? And this is just from a little bit of an outsider perspective, but it started to seem a little bit last week like team was buying in a little bit more. You know, a little bit more last week versus the VMI week where, uh, you know, the defense was a bit depleted and VMI maybe made some plays situationally. The team wasn't great. But then last week it kind of flipped a few of those things, whether it be uh, in the red zone, tight zone, uh, whether it be on third downs, things of that nature. Uh, that it, it was maybe not just the statistics that showed it, but did did the energy show it? Did the belief show it? Did you see any of that in the team? When you step into this, what's the energy that you feel?
1: Yeah, I mean, so I was with – I was doing – Pretty much the same thing Austin was doing the entire spring. Uh, so I was with a lot of these guys, mainly the guys that I didn't spend much time with were the freshmen that just got here. Um, but, yeah, I, I haven't been here in the last couple months, but, you know, I've, I've been at every game. I've been on the outsider perspective like you are right. seeing the game. And, honestly, I just I didn't want to keep my hands off of it. You know, I, I wanted to have a, an impact on the game somehow, you know, whether it be with Austin on the scout teams in practice or, you know, whether it be a bigger role, who knows. But yeah, you can definitely feel the energy shifting in a positive direction. I definitely agree with that. Um, it was a huge win last week, just just from a morale perspective. Um, to to get beat the week before and and then come out and, and take care of business the next week at home was huge, and I hope it you know takes momentum to this week.
2: I don't want to put the cart before the horse, obviously, because we're still early, Austin. Right. But do you feel that at all too?
3: Yeah, I, I think this team, like Kobe mentioned, we had a lot of guys graduate, and we still have you know. Um, Relatively older team, but I mean, the core of that team last year, a lot of it left, um, and a lot of leadership on that team left. So this team is is still working out its identity, I think, and I think it got closer last week to to finding that, and that's I, I think that's really big. Um, it ta- those situations, those close games, those just don't happen and turn into victories. You have to you know gain experience in that situation, kind of know. You know what to expect and how to navigate those situations and I think that you know we were much more prepared to be in that spot a week later and that will only continue as the year goes along so uh, those younger guys that are getting that experience they're getting invaluable experience for the future and so hopefully we can use that experience now in the immediate future but um, I, I I really think the older guys on the team are really starting um, to step up and take their leadership roles that maybe they didn't have previously, but, it, you know, it's their team now. And uh, I, I think last week was a good step, you know, in the right direction.
2: What do you think of this Furman team this year? Harris Roberts was the starter last year when you faced him, but Darren Granger played you know, kind of here and there. They had – Four quarterbacks that played three games or more I think they always wanted Roberts to be the guy I think he struggled with injuries at some point Here or there last year And now he's gone and you've got Granger Stepped in who seems to have been the missing piece To really make that offense go with uh, Thomas Gordon, Devin Wynn, Gordon on the outside Wynn in the backfield And then defensively they've got a guy that led the nation In sacks last year and a pass rush that's got 11 sacks This year Uh, Have you watched film on both sides of the ball Where are you at in your preparation And what do you think of this Furman team It looks like a strong one
3: Right, yeah, this is, this is a really good Furman team. Um, they're, they're really experienced. Uh, it kind of gets lost uh, among the ETSU fans, but they ended up tying for the conference title with us. Um, and so it's important to remember that. Also, this team is a year older. Um, they didn't lose many guys. So um, they're, they're really experienced, and their offense is probably, in my opinion, the most dynamic in the conference right now. You know, they're scoring points against some really good opponents and some really good defenses. As you mentioned, you know the sack leader for the whole country uh, is on their defense, and um, that is not an easy guy to, to contain uh, or to slow down. And on the back end in the secondary, they've got some really good athletes. So um, they pose a, a challenge to us, as the rest of the SOCON does. But I think... This could potentially be an a early-season matchup that has a lot of implications later on down the road. Obviously, we had our hiccup early with VMI, so we don't have much room for error. So um, I look for us to build upon last week and uh, continue getting better. And as I was saying earlier with the, with the seniors, just continue to take that step and you know developing the identity of this team because uh, you know, these next few weeks are crucial to how this season is going to be remembered.
2: How does the reporting structure here go? Just one person report to another with offensive quality control coaches? Like, now since he's come in later, does he report to you, Austin? What's going on?
3: No, no doubt. It's, it's back. We're, we're at the same level. You know, quality <laughs> control. I we, don't know. We don't believe in hierarchy within the quality control department One here. big family in the quality yeah, one, control. one big family, you know. So.
1: See,
2: but listen to you. You said the quality control department. To me, that sounds like a managerial
3: term, like you're doing
1: Yeah, we're a speak. completely separate yeah. department. Yeah,
2: the quality control
3: family. How uh, about that? No, the the, family, I'll I I'll g- I'll take get your term there. The so we have goodness. uh I guess we got three or four guys on the offensive staff now with quality control. Um and then we have uh two or three on defense. So I
2: I give it I give Austin about uh gosh, two weeks before he we starts seeing my quality control unit. Yeah. You know, I yeah, think it's only yeah, a matter
3: I, of time. Yeah, that's me. Just just <laughs> taking all the credit there, yeah. You know?
2: <laughs> uh, do we know what your game day responsibilities are going to be yet?
1: Not yet, no. We're, we're looking into that. Okay. Hopefully, you know, Hopefully, I'll be able to do more than less, obviously. I want to do whatever they ask me to do. So. Yeah. We'll see. I
2: think Let's the see. quality control department has improved already, and clearly with you being in at Austin, uh, it could use some boosting. You guys are on like hour 16 of being awake, so I'm going to let you go. Uh, congratulations on being back, Kobe. Awesome to have you. Thank you. Obviously, every ETSU fan is super happy that Kobe's back. Austin, I guess we'll talk to you next week. All righty. I'll see you next week. Good luck to you both. It's Furman. 1 p.m. is kickoff in Greenville, 1130 pregame on the Buccaneers Sports Network. Austin, Kobe, the Bucks going to try, and I guess most would call it an upset if they beat Furman this weekend, and we'll have all the coverage on the Buccaneers Sports Network starting at 1130. We go to Bull predictions when we're back on Santos and the Sidekick. ETSU fans, there is no more entertaining way to spend your Wednesday nights than with the human soundbite reel, Randy Sanders.
1: It's big boy football.
2: The Buccaneer head coach joins Jay Sandos live at Wild Wing Cafe every Wednesday night at 6 p.m. And if you can't make it to downtown Johnson City to have
1: chicken wings and tater tots.
2: With coach, you can listen right here on AM640. All fall long, ETSU head football coach Randy Sanders, Wednesday nights. What time is it anyway? 6 p.m. On the Sports Monster. Look, I think it's plain to see Andrew Luck is going to be the top quarterback in football this year.
0: If you don't think Antonio Brown is going to be a model citizen when he finally gets out of Pittsburgh and Oakland and goes to New England, you're crazy. The AAF is a juggernaut. It's only a matter of time before it overtakes the NFL. You really think the NFL and Roger Goodell is going to let Josh Gordon back in? I mean it's
2: obvious Fletcher McGee is getting drafted maybe even in the first round
0: no 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 I've got plenty of sources more than you Mike in Knoxville Rick Barnes is no way considering that UCLA job bold prediction. All right, bold predictions, and uh, where's the book? I think I've conveniently misplaced it. Yeah, that oh, was terrible. terrible. We were awful last I week. I know one. we
2: are both uh, one, one and seven.
0: Well, I could, oh, I could have told you that. We have we're one. one. Uno.
2: One yeah. singular yeah. correct well, prediction that. for the first, well, four weeks technically, but we've got some long-term ones. And by the way, and I was going to come in and gloat even harder about this today, had Green Bay pulled it off last night, but the NFC North is the best division in football. And keep in mind, I said that, in our first bold prediction segment that the nfc north would have every wild card in the nfc now i feel less good about that after philadelphia goes in in that wild game last night where like five guys had to be stretchered off the field and there's helmet helmet everywhere and pass interference review is central on everyone's minds now and there were like five or six different ones last night where you could have taken that to review i was gonna gloat even harder unfortunately for me green bay drops that game but still you got what three and one is green bay two and one the Vikings and Bears meet this week both two and one and Detroit's undefeated I feel pretty good at least yeah, in that Yeah, sense. two on one Yeah, you're right yeah. at least in they the got Kansas long, City too yeah so they're they, gonna get obliterated uh, this week I Kansas don't know they City. will
0: I gotta be honest really kind of like Detroit oh my god kind of like Detroit you, you know they can't you, run the ball you, they you, haven't been able to run the you, ball in 20 years you are just upset because Matt Patricia and the beard is getting it done
2: oh I'm not upset I'm happy because my bowl prediction is looking brilliant in the long term but our short-term bowl predictions have been very bad turn it around for us this week please well not you well, go ahead and start, yeah. and then don't get it right, but then I'll get it right. All right, I'll start with the ETSU. Stuff. How
0: about that? Okay. Uh, since you were the last one to accidentally win, I will... Um, Arizona State I, is the only one I've got. How about that? I yeah. love Herm. Yeah. I'm going to go with the um, Trey Mitchell. Not one, but two career highs, yardage, and touchdowns in a game. Wow. So that would be, I believe, would be four touchdowns? He only threw two. two. So it would be three, and it'd then three.
2: 250 is his high. For yards, okay. I went with the Trey Mitchell one. I think it was last week or two weeks ago, and said 300 plus. That did not work out for me. Um, I hope for I'm going ETSU's both. Sake, I have to get both right. I hope I have for to get etsu. Both right. Okay, for etsu's sake and your sake, I hope that is correct. Uh, I think etsu's defense is going to have to be very good this week, and if they are to the tune of what I think they can be, I think it could be a win. 370 total yards or less for Furman. That is 100 yards below their average. Now, health will be key. Jason Maduefa, you said trending to look like he's going to play this week from what i understand tyree robinson looking like he might be able to go as well so you got a couple of big key pieces back it'll be the first time that those two will be on the field with jared folks all season so that is i think a very good thing you saw last week donovan mitchell had some solid plays you've got uh manual linebacker as well yancey uh you saw some big plays from the secondary last week for guys that were filling in mj woods and of course artavius smith coach sanders had plenty of good things to say about him so Stacked on the defensive side of the ball, got to be at your best this week. Three hundred seventy yards of total offense or less for Furman. Go Bucks! All
0: right, the Southern. I'm going Southern Conference for my second one. Okay, and uh, I was very, very close. Let me tell you what I was close on it. I'm not going to go with. I was very close to going with Tyree Adams inserted second half three touchdown performance beating beating Chattanooga. That is bold, and I kind of want to do that just because I hate Chattanooga. But I'm actually gonna go with VMI beating Wofford. Okay. I'm gonna go VMI at home. You tease that in the first segment or I second did, segment, I should say. So you probably should saw that coming, but I'm gonna go VMI, and I think because they'll be able to control the clock in the game. My only concern is special teams could kill VMI mm-hmm. and, and especially field goal kicking. But I'm gonna go VMI finds a way to pick up another big win, and they'll do it at home against Wofford.
2: So you teased that in the second segment today. I teased this in the fourth segment Wednesday. Towson, they're not going to beat Florida, but they're going to keep My it within Tigers. 14 points. Your Tigers. I'm My talking Tigers. about the Towson-Tiger bandwagon this week. Keep it within 14 against Florida. The reasoning it's right before two matchups against top 10 teams for Florida, Auburn, and LSU. It's right after a rivalry win. With a backup quarterback, very emotional Band behind your guy, right? Towson is mixed in, kind of just thrown in As a money game for the Tigers They go to Florida And Towson's been a good road team this year Wins over the Citadel, wins over Maine So you've got those two big ones where Citadel's now ranked Maine has been ranked the entire year Very solid program that went deep into the NCAA playoffs last year The only way this could go wrong For me, I think Is if the Tigers are too distraught about their overtime loss
0: To Villanova at home last week the first quarter usually in these games Correct. tells you. And so we'll know early. Yes, if Florida puts 21 on the board, it's going to be ugly. It's going to be and, and much it, like there, Tennessee no, and yes, Chattanooga. There will be no no coming back. If Townsend's in there about halftime, Florida will have to figure know. out they got to start playing. There you go. Plus, Florida has been giving up some yards through the air uncharacteristic because, you know, that defense is what's been carrying them for a while. So I'd be curious to see if Townsend turns it over as much as Tennessee did, and it could be ugly. And play. let me point out, if Towson does happen to win, we're not
2: going back to the tape and saying, oh, you said Towson wasn't going to win, but they're going to keep it within 14. I'm saying they keep it within 14 or win. 14 or well, Now you've added the or win. Yeah, no, 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 now, yeah. he's, now he's it's bought into the 14 or less. Well, you're talking about it, and I'm just like, ah, the wheels are turning in my head. 14 or less, they lose by or a win over Florida. All of that's an upset for Towson. That's what I'm taking.
0: All right, the other one I'm going to go with, Joe Madden's going to officially play no Cubs just to make the Brewers <laughs> mad. No, that's uh love You're bitter about Chester. the Cubs. You are bitter. Uh, I am, but I, I did enjoy his comments to the Brewers. Now, my last one is actually I, I think I'll throw people off a little bit, especially because a couple of huge wins already for the Auburn Tigers, and they are huge favorites, uh, favorites at home against Mississippi State, and I think the Bulldoggies – of mississippi state are going to go into auburn alabama as like an 11 point dog and win the game and throw a monkey wrench into that sec west i'm going mississippi state outright win at auburn
2: that is bold top 10 team in auburn right now washington state is going to be utah on the road utah lost to unranked usc for their first defeat of the year last week washington state of course lost to ucla for their first defeat of the year last week everyone's down in the cougars after they put up 63 points, I just don't get it. Mike Leach, too good of a coach not to go in there and win this week. Washington that that State is a
0: very tough place to play. It is. For whatever reason, Utah always loses in the Coliseum, if you go back and look at it, no matter how good. So that may not be a shocking uh, last year's was a weird win. result. It, 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 it is.
2: Historically, I agree. But USC just seems to keep holding on enough. It's like Clay Helton's trying to get fired. But USC won't let him get fired. Like, just playing well enough and pulling off a win here just enough at the right time. The Urban Meyer stuff
0: just creeping (laughs) in his back (laughs) pocket, baby. He's taking a job somewhere. All right. So that'll do it for our bold predictions. Monday, we recap the game against the Furman Paladins. A little bit later in the week, of course, we'll get you set up for the Wofford Terriers as they come to Green Stadium. Broadcast 1 o'clock, 11:30. That's when we'll take to the pregame show on the Buccaneer Sports Network. Myself, Matt Wiljam, Robert Harper, Mike Gallagher, and a host of others will be on Don the know. broadcast. Donnie Hellman. How do not forget old Don? He'll don't be in studio Don. with you. Don will not let me forget him. Santos and his sidekick back next week with a recap of the Buccaneer Sports Network.